Good morning. I am the latest smartphone. I can find information on the internet to answer all kinds of questions. Yesterday my owner asked me what kind of eggs he liked. And I was like, how should I know? Do I look like I can cook eggs? I can tell you the weather, or a stock price, or the showtimes at the movie theater. But how about something more than coffee talk? Let's ask the really tough questions. Come on, let's get serious. Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you who are either here at our Sugarloaf campus or those at our Mill Creek campus. And by the way, you guys are doing a great job up there. I get reports week after week of people who are coming, who are loving what you're doing. Lives are being changed. Pastor Chad's doing a great job. And we are glad you're joining us. And then those who are watching us long online, we're glad that you're here. You know, one of the greatest inventions of the modern era is the smartphone. Now, when I was growing up, this is true for a lot of us, when I was growing up, a telephone was only used for one thing, communication. You called people, people called you. That was it. But with the creation of the smartphone, everything changed. And this little piece of plastic and metal that I hold in my hand can do so many things. You can use it for communication. You can use it to get information. You can use it to provide transportation. The amazing thing is you can even use it for conversation. Now, I have a personal policy that uh, I never travel with a woman alone. I don't get into a car with a woman alone. I, I just, you know, that's just a policy that I have. However, there is one exception I've had to make in my ministry. And that is, there's a lady that travels with me everywhere I go when I have my smartphone with me. You probably know what her name is. If you don't, her name is Siri. How many of you know who Siri is? Okay, a lot of you do. Now, Siri is absolutely one of the most fascinating and interesting women that I've ever known in my life. Now, I know you're saying, well, she's not a real woman. Oh, she's a real woman. You say, how do you know? Well, she claims to know everything and will never admit she's wrong. She is a real woman. Now, she answers only the questions that she wants to. And if she doesn't want to answer your question, she'll either basically send you to somebody else or she'll tell you to get lost. Now, I've actually, this is true, I've actually gotten into arguments with her. And I'm the only one that loses my cool. She never loses her cool. I'm the one that loses mine. Well, one of the fun things to do is to ask Siri fun questions. And so we've hooked up the monitor so you can hear the answers from my phone. I'm going to call Siri up right now, and I'm going to actually ask her some questions I've always wanted to know the answer to, and we'll just see how she answers. These are kind of fun questions. All right, here we go. Siri, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? Well, since a woodchuck is really a groundhog, the correct question would be, how many pounds in a groundhog's mound when a groundhog pounds hog mounds? Brilliant. The lady's brilliant. I'm telling you. Now, here's a question. Harper asked me this question not long ago. I did not know the answer to it, okay? So I'm going to ask Siri this question. Siri, why are fire trucks red? Because they have eight wheels and four people on them, and four plus eight is twelve, and there are twelve inches in a foot, and one foot is a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was also a ship. And the ship sailed the seas, and in the seas are fish, and fish have fins, 
and the Finns fought the Russians, and the Russians are red, and that's why fire trucks are red. Oh, did I tell you she loves to talk? Did I tell you that? Well, let's just see how smart Siri really is. I've got one last question. This is a fun one. Siri, what is the greatest team in all of college football? The greatest team is the Bulldogs of the University of Georgia. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thank you. That's my girl. That's my girl. Well, I got to thinking about this one day, and I got to I, I asked myself the question, what if we could ask Siri some of the more serious questions that people are asking today and, and just get her to answer the question? So we decided to do that. And we're calling this little experiment, Let's Get Serious. We did a little unscientific survey, and we asked some people, if you could ask Siri a very serious question, what would it be? And so we came up with four questions, very serious questions that people said, you know, if we could ask Siri a question and get a serious answer, this is the question that we'd ask, and we'd like to hear what she has to say. But we decided we'd take it a step further. We said, let's just see not just what Siri would say to these questions, but how about what would the Bible say? about these questions. How would the Bible answer these questions? Well, today we're going to start with a question that was asked, believe it or not, in a kind of a different way, and it's a question about the existence of God. Now, unlike what you were probably thinking, we're not going to deal with the question, is there a God? Because honestly today, people really aren't asking that question very much anymore. They did thousands of years ago, but today the question is a lot deeper, and I'll tell you why I know that. Every survey I've ever read since I was a kid tells us that 96% of all people in America believe in some type of God, some type of supreme being. And I know that percentage is probably even higher in people in this room and people at Mill Creek and people watching online, people who go to church. And, and so we actually found people asking a different question and a much deeper question, one I've never really thought about before. Here's the question people are asking. If God exists, what difference does it make? So the atheist says, okay, let me just concede that there is this God that you believe in. What difference does it make? The other day, I came across a blog. I, I don't know who this blogger is, but I came across this blog, and <clears throat> he is very interesting. He was writing about a friend of his who was an Episcopal priest, an Episcopal priest. And, and this priest came to him and was telling him about a friend of his who was an atheist. And, and this atheist came to this priest and he asked him this very question. He said, look, I've been thinking about something. Even if God does exist, why does it matter? Well, the Episcopal priest was being just very honest. He actually kind of was struggling with this question. And so he came to this blogger and he said to him, how would you answer the question? If God does, ex God does exist, what difference would it really make? Well, it gave this blogger an idea, and so here's what he said to the priest. He said, I'm going to do an experiment. He said, I'm going to live for a solid year as if God does not exist. Now, he believes in God, but he said, I want to live a solid year of my life, and I'm going to pretend that God does not exist. Now, what he does not do or did not do, he didn't tell us how that came out. He did not tell us exactly what it was like to live an entire year of his life without God. But here's the good news. There was a man that did. 
There was a man that went through a period of his life, and he lived his life as if there was no God. He lived his life as if God did not exist. And he wrote an entire book of the Bible to explain to us why God does make a difference. So if you brought a copy of God's Word today or our smartphone or a tablet or whatever you might use, I want you to turn to a book in the Old Testament. It's called the Book of Ecclesiastes. It's right after Psalms and Proverbs. So if you can just start finding Psalms and Proverbs, it's the very, very next book that you'll find. Now, let me just give you the backdrop of this story in case you don't know who this man was. It was an ancient king. His name was Solomon. He was the son of David. And the Bible paints him as the wisest man who ever lived. This is actually the last of three books that Solomon wrote. Solomon actually wrote three books in the Bible. He wrote the first book. The first book he wrote was called The Song of Solomon. It's a book of romance. He wrote that as a young man. And then when he was a middle-aged man, he wrote the second book. It's a book of realizations about life. It's called Proverbs. And it's basically a book of wisdom on how to live life and how to treat people, how to handle relationships, and so forth. But then when he got to be an old man, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. That is a book of regrets. Because what this book is about is the time in his life when he decided he was going to just live as if there was no God. And so he describes in this book this period in his life when he literally went off the rails. He he somehow made this decision to put God in a box, seal the box up, put the box in the basement, cover the box with bricks, and he said, I'm going to live my life as if God's nowhere to be found. I'm going to live my life as if there is no God. The question is, how did that work out for him? And what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't doesn't make any bones about it. He gets right to the point, and he puts the key to Ecclesiastes right at the very front door. He opens up by making this statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, that's Solomon, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now, just in case you missed the key at the front door of the book, he also puts it at the back door of the book because he repeats this in the very last chapter of the book. Here's what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now, you need to understand something about the Hebrew mindset, the way they thought and the way they wrote. Whenever a Hebrew wanted to emphasize something, they didn't put an exclamation point by it because in the Hebrew language, they didn't have exclamation points. The way that they would emphasize something is they would repeat it. It was kind of their way of putting an exclamation point by something that they said because they didn't have any punctuation at all. And so if the same word or the same thought is repeated even one time, the Hebrew would be saying, I'm emphasizing this. I'm putting this in bold print. I'm underlining this. I don't want you to miss this. This is very, very important. For example, in one verse, in, in, in the first chapter, he repeats that word meaningless five times. Now, it's not just because he's just trying to repeat himself or doesn't know what else to say. It's kind of like putting five exclamation points at the end of the verse. That's kind of what some of our high school students do when they text. You know how they do that. Just you know, one right after the other. Well, it doesn't stop there. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find he uses this word meaningless 38 times. 
All throughout the book, he keeps back coming back. He wants you to get this in your mind where you can't forget it. He, it's kind of like a song you can't get out of your head. He keeps saying, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. And in effect, here's what Solomon is saying. I tried living life as if there was no God. I tried living life as if God did not exist. And he said, here's what I figured out. It didn't take me long to do it. He said, life without God is a big, fat zero. It is nothing times nothing, which equals nothing. And after a lifetime of exhaustive research and personal experience, Solomon sat down and writes this book to reveal the single most important lesson anyone in any age will ever learn about life if all there is to life if, is this life. If the, if the so-called new atheists are right, and by the way, there's nothing new about atheism. It's the same argument been used since the beginning of time. But if the new atheists are right and there really is no God and all there is to life is this life, here's what Solomon found out. He said, everything is nothing if everything is all there is. Everything is nothing if everything is all there is. Now, that begs not just the question of God, but it begs the, the, the difference that God makes. What difference does it make? And so Solomon writes this book of Ecclesiastes, and he keeps saying the same thing. He says it in different ways, but he keeps saying the same thing over 12 chapters. I want to boil it down to this one simple sentence. Here it is. Only God can make the matter of life matter. Only God can make the matter of life matter. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do just what Solomon did. I want you to think through the difference that God makes. I want you to think through the question. We're not going to ask the question, does God exist? I want to ask a deeper question. Assuming that God exists, why does it matter? Why is it important that there is a God, that there is some supreme being out there? Why is that even a big deal at all? Why do I stand up here and tell you that only God can make the matter of life matter? Well, Solomon gives us four differences that God makes in your life and in my life that would not be true if there is no God. And he's already clued us in on the first one, okay? Here's the first difference God makes. God gives meaning to life. God gives meaning to life. Now, someone has called Ecclesiastes Solomon's baccalaureate address to the human race. And so for 12 chapters, his address keeps singing the same verse over and over and over. He keeps telling us, if all there is to life is life, then life means nothing. If all there is to life is this life, there's nothing before it, there's nothing after it. He said, then life means nothing. Listen again to what he says. He said, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, the word I want you to hear is not meaningless. The word I want you to hear is everything. He says everything. Every part of your life, meaningless. Your family is meaningless. Your marriage is meaningless. Your morality is meaningless. Your work is meaningless. Your contribution to society. He said, everything is meaningless. He said, there is no meaning to any part of anyone's life without God. Now, I'll tell you why this is such a big question. There was a recent survey that was conducted by some scientists from John Hopkins University. They asked almost 8,000 students from 48 different colleges what they considered to be the most important thing to them about their life. 
They reported, now listen to this, the number one answer to that question by a whopping 75%. These college students said their primary goal was finding a purpose and meaning to my life. They said that's what really, that's what stays on our mind. That's what's obsessing us. That's what we're trying to figure out. What is the purpose and the meaning to my life? And what Solomon says to those college students and what Solomon says to us is, without God, you are wasting your time. If there is no God, it is a fruitless search. If there is no God, life is ultimately meaningless. Let me tell you why he said that, why I believe that's true. If our lives are doomed just to end in death, in other words, when we die, that's it. There's no hereafter. There's no life after death. When you die, you're gone. Now think about this. If that's true, then not only does life not matter, then it doesn't matter how we live our life. It, 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 as a matter of fact, it doesn't make any difference whether I even existed or not. It doesn't even make any difference whether you we're here or not. See, it's not just true that life is brief and life passes quickly and life is relatively short. What Solomon says is, hey, without God, it's pointless. Solomon says, I, I defy anybody to tell me this, if there is no God, what's the point of life? What's the point of even, even being here? What is the point of living? Add up all the money that you make while you're alive, all the title deeds you have, all the stocks and bonds you own, all the times you get your name in a newspaper, all the promotions that you get, all the ladders that you climb. Solomon says, okay, you take God out of the picture, it's one big fat zero. It's absolutely pointless. It means absolutely nothing. I was thinking about this uh, the other day. Uh, one of some of my best thinking is, is when I exercise. And, and I, I, you know, I'm pretty pretty, you know, I'm pretty kind of a religious nut. I try to exercise, uh, exercise I try to exercise, you know, pretty much every day. And I've got a workout room in my home and I, I have a stair-stepping machine in my home. And it's about five to six times a week, uh, 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 days a week, I get on that, st that stair-climbing machine, 35 minutes. I've kind of got my, my routine. Man, I'm pushing that machine for all that it's worth and I'm, I'm pounding those steps, you know, and I get through and I'm sweating bullets and I'm gassing for air. And it hit me the other day. I got through and I was soaked with sweat. I was gasping for breath and I'd worked out so hard and I, all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. I hadn't gone anywhere. I was the same place I was when I started. I spent 35 minutes of my day expending as much energy as I could, going as hard as I could for as long as I could and I had gone nowhere. Now, I got off that stair-stepping machine. I said, you know what, Lord? That's exactly what life is if you're not here. That is exactly what life is without God. You're spinning wheels. You're running in circles. You're climbing ladders, but you're going nowhere. Without God, life is kind of like a rat race run on a treadmill. You run hard. You run long, but in the end, you don't get anywhere. Matter of fact, I read this the other day. Somebody said, life is a rat race, but even if you win, at the end, you're still just a rat. And you know that's true. As a matter of fact, listen, Solomon even closes with this devastating statement in chapter 1. Listen to this. He says, nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Now listen to what Solomon is saying. All of the, what he's saying is, listen, if there is no God, in the end, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter when you lived. It doesn't matter what you do. 
It doesn't matter what you have. It is your life is inconsequential. So take the scientist that gets up every Monday morning and starts working in that lab trying to advance human knowledge. Or the doctor doing his research trying to find a cure for cancer. Or the diplomat working overtime trying to find peace in the world. Or that soldier out there sacrificing his life trying to protect us and keep us free. Solomon said, without God, it all means nothing. Because only God can give meaning to life. That's difference number one. Here's difference number two. Only God gives morality its foundation. Only God gives morality its foundation. Now, think about this. If there's no meaning to life, it stands to reason there can be no morality in life. There really isn't a right that's always right, and there really isn't a wrong that's always wrong. There really isn't a good that's always good, and there really isn't a bad that is always bad. In fact, let me give you an illustration of this that's from a man that can do it better than I can. One of my favorite authors and a, dear, and a dear friend of mine, a guy that I love to read, and every time he's speaking, I love to hear him, is a great Christian apologist. His name is Ravi Zacharias. And many of you probably have heard of, of Ravi. He's a dear friend. I love him. I read everything that he writes. He's a brilliant thinker. And, and, and so he ta- tells this story about how several years ago, he was speaking at the University of Nottingham, England. And, and he said that when he got through talking about God and the existence of God, He said there was this real exasperated student in the audience and he started attacking God over the whole idea of evil and suffering. And the point that he was trying to make was God cannot possibly exist because of all the evil and all the suffering that's going on in the world. And so Robbie recounts this conversation that he has with his student and it's really kind of a humorous conversation because as C.S. Lewis once said, there's nothing so self-defeating as a question that is not fully understood by the one asking the question. And so this student starts out, and, and he stood up. You know, Zacharias will let people ask questions from the audience. So this student stands up, and here's what he asked Zacharias. He said, how can there possibly be a God with all the evil and the suffering that exists in the world? Well, uh, Ravi asked him if, if they could talk about that issue for a few moments, and the student agreed. And so this was their conversation Beginning with a question from Ravi Zacharias. This is how they, 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 they resp- he responded. He said, okay, when you say there's such a thing as evil, are you not assuming there's such a thing as good? The student replies, well, of course. So Ravi says, so when you assume there's such a thing as good, are you not also assuming there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to distinguish between good and evil? Well, the hesitant reply came back. The student said, well, uh, I suppose so. Ravi then says this. Well, if then there is a moral law, you must posit a moral lawgiver. But that is who you're trying to disprove and not prove. If there is no moral lawgiver, there is no moral law. If there is no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. So I'm not sure what your question is. The student then classically responded, neither am I, can you please tell me what I ought to be asking you? <laughs> now, listen, what I'm, listen, understand what I'm telling you. You don't need to believe in God to believe that there's right and wrong and there's good and evil. You don't need God to try to live according to what you think is right or wrong or good and evil. That's not my point. The point is, as Zacharias has so well put it, 
There simply is no rational basis to understand what is good or what is right or what is wrong or what is evil. There's no rational basis to that without God. Because if you take God out of the picture, right or wrong now becomes a matter of one of three things. Right or wrong simply becomes a matter of your emotions. I do what I feel is right. I, I don't do what I feel is wrong. If it feels good, I do it. If it doesn't feel good, I don't. Or right or wrong becomes a matter of your intellect. I do what I think is right. Or I, do what I, I don't do what I think is wrong. It just becomes a matter of what you've got convinced your, you've convinced yourself in your mind. Or it becomes a matter of opinion. You just do what others that you respect say is right or wrong. So without God, you can feel something's right or wrong. You can think something is right or wrong. You can go on what somebody else says and say, well, I'll just go with what they say. And they seem like they know what they're talking about. So if they say it's right or wrong, I guess I'll go with them. But without God, there's no final objective right or wrong apart from him. Now, don't take my word for this. There are a lot of atheists out there that are at least honest enough to realize and say exactly the same thing. Richard Taylor is an ethicist. He, he deals in the area of ethics, what's right and wrong. He is also an atheist. Now, I want you to listen to what this atheist ethicist say, and I want to commend this man because he's just being honest. Here's what he said. To say that something is wrong because it is forbidden by God is perfectly understandable to anyone who believes in a law-giving God. But to say that something or wrong or forbid it, even though no God exists, is not understandable. He's exactly right. He said, if you want to say something's a right or wrong, I understand if you want to say that because you believe there's a God who makes the final call on what's right or wrong. But he says, if there is no God that makes the final call on what is always right and what's always wrong, he said that it really makes no sense for you or anybody else to say, this is right and it's always right, and this is wrong and it's always wrong. But let me tell you this, the problem actually goes deeper. So what do you mean? Let's assume for the moment there's no God. Let's assume we just all got here by evolutionary chance. It just happened. No matter how, it doesn't matter. Big bang, little bang, no bang. I don't care, okay? But, you know, we just got, you know, we just got our biggest bang for the buck, right? So we just got here, okay? Let's just assume there is no God. So let's assume, therefore, that life is simply going to end in death. Now, here's my question to you. If that's true, there's no God. When you die, that's it. You're done. Then why should anybody ever do anything, even if they think it's right or they feel it's right, if it goes against their self-interest? Why would you do that? For example, you take those soldiers overseas right now that are fighting for us, and God bless all those soldiers. And you take all those, 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 those brave men and women out there that are fighting to defend our freedom and fighting to protect us from terrorism and, and violence. With all respect, if there is no God, it makes no sense. If there is no God, what they're doing is not noble. <laughs> what they're doing is stupid. It's dumb. I mean, we're, we're, if we're all going to die anyway, right, in the end, we're all going to die. If death is the end of everything, then the smartest thing you and I could do every day is do whatever is for our own self-preservation. It's every man for himself. 
It's everybody looking out for number one. If we're all going to die anyway, and I know when I die, that's going to be the end of me, then I ought to do everything I can to live as long as possible. And the only reason to do whatever you feel, think, or say is good is if it benefits you. Because in the end, without God... There is no good or evil. There is no right or wrong. We're all just going to die anyway. Only God gives morality its basis. But watch this. This is another big difference. Third difference Solomon says is this. Only God gives a mandate for justice. Now, I I, I want you to listen to how Solomon closes the book in, in, in chapter 12. Listen to this. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let me just tell you what Solomon was saying there. Without God, there is no justice. In the end, without God, there is no justice for evil. Let me me give you a couple illustrations. Let's say there is no God. Then Adolf Hitler got away with murdering 50 million people. You say, oh, no, no, he didn't. He committed suicide. He's going to die anyway. There's no punishment. Without God, Adolf Hitler got away with murdering 50 million people. Perhaps one of the most famous unsolved crimes ever in 1888. There were 11 brutal murders committed in the Whitechapel District of London. I've been there. In the Whitechapel District of London's East End, all of the victims were prostitutes. They were all ripped apart by a knife. They were all murdered by the same killer. Y'all remember who he was? Somebody tell me. Jack the Ripper, right? One of the most famous unsolved murders in history. You know what? As of today, Jack got away with it. As of today, Jack got away with it. And if there is no God, Jack got away with it. Because the problem is, without God, it's not just that every unsolved murder remains unsolved. That's not the problem. The problem is, every unsolved murder remains unpunished. Because one of those two things has to be true. Has to be true. Either somebody gets away with some things, or nobody gets away with anything. And I'm here to tell every atheist out there today, nobody gets away with anything. Those ISIS, those cowardly, gutless terrorists over there that are crucifying children and burying them alive, they're not going to get away with anything. Justice is going to be done. And the only hope there is going to be that justice is that there is a God in heaven because without God, there may be justice for some, but there will never be justice for all because only a holy, righteous God standing at the end of your life and my life will ever guarantee anybody's justice. And by the way, the problem's still much worse because if God doesn't exist, now think about this, if God doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. It it, it really doesn't matter if you're honest or if you lie. It really doesn't matter whether you give or you take. It really doesn't matter whether you protect the life of the unborn or you take the life of the unborn. Because if there's no one at the end of your life that rewards you for your good and punishes you for your evil, then what does it matter? 
in the grand scheme of thing, thing, why is it even being discussed? By the way, just to show you how this works out, it should not surprise you that the foundation and the centerpiece of communism is atheism. Did you know that everywhere communism has ever been found, the underlying worldview and the underlying philosophical basis for that is always atheism? Why do you think through the years communism has allowed its leaders to murder more than 100 million people and sleep at night just like a baby? Well, if you don't understand why, let me just give you a testimony. There was a man by the name of Richard Wormbrand, wonderful, godly Christian. He was tortured in communist prisons, lived a lot of his life in a communist prison. Here's what he observed while he was in that prison. Listen to this. He said, the cruelty of those who do not believe in God is hard to believe. But when man has no faith in the reward of good or the punishment of evil, there's no reason to be human. There is no restraint from the depths of evil which is in man. My communist torturers often said, there is no God no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do what we wish. They are exactly right. They are completely correct. Without God, why don't you just do what you wish? You do what you want. Because when you don't believe in God, you'll ignore the judgment of God. And when you ignore the judgment of God, you'll disregard the fear of God. When you disregard the fear of God, you'll have no qualms about what you do with your life. See, here's why God makes a big difference. He is the only one that gives a mandate for justice. And then Solomon, kind of with a coup de grace, kind of at the end comes back and he says, but let me tell you the greatest difference that God makes. Let me tell you the biggest reason why it is important that there is a God. Here's what he said. Only God gives a message of hope. Only God gives a message of hope. Now think about this. Let's say there is no God. Let's say God does not exist. Then why do we even have the word hope in our vocabulary? Well, what are you, what are you hoping for? Because if there is no God... That means that ultimately old age and disease and death have the final say to life. That means in the end, all of us in this room, we're fighting a losing battle with aging and deterioration and disease and even perhaps senility. I mean, think about that end being the end. Think about coming to the end of your life and having to look back and ask this question, what difference did my life even make anyway and know that the answer is absolutely none? But if there is a God, particularly the God of the Bible, who came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross that he might deliver us from evil and he came back from the dead that he might deliver us from death, then hope springs eternal. And he is the ultimate difference maker. He is the ultimate game changer. And that's why the wisest man who ever lived, who did his best to live life without God, came to this conclusion. Here's what he said. Now, all has been heard. I tried it. I did the experiment, I put God on the shelf, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
Solomon said, here's what I've concluded. I have concluded that only God can make the matter of life matter. The conclusion of the matter is that only God can make the matter of life matter. Now, I, I say all that to say this. I'm going to wrap this up. I realize I've been preaching to the choir. Okay, I, I, I get that. I realize that, that probably 99% of you, maybe 100% of you, I don't know, but I realize that the vast majority of us believe in God. I get that. Here's the question I want to face us with today. My question is not, do you believe in God? My question is, and let's just be honest. Now, come on, let's just get honest. Is he really making that big a difference in our life? I mean, come on, let's just get real. I mean, if there was no other evidence, could people look at your life and the way you live it and the way you conduct your affairs and say, there's got to be a God. Look at the difference God makes in that person's life. And I think there's a God in heaven right now that's looking it down at you and saying, you know, I thank you for believing in me, although it doesn't matter because I'm real whether you believe in me or not. The question I'm asking you is, what kind of a difference am I really making in your life? Why does it really matter to you that I am here, that you really do believe in me? See, C.S. Lewis, if I can quote him again, he put it best. C.S. Lewis said, God is not, a sort of, not the sort of thing that one can be moderately interested in. Because after all, if God does not exist, there's no reason to be interested in God at all. But if God does exist, this is what Lewis said, if God does exist, then the greatest concern we ought to have in our life every single day, how can I know that God? How can I relate to that God? How can I obey that God? How can I worship that God? How can I serve that God? How can I love that God supremely? How can I do that? And that's why God came in the flesh, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's why Jesus Christ came back from the dead. So that we could be forgiven of our sins. We could have a relationship with that God who gives not just meaning to our earthly life, but gives us the joy of eternal life. Many of you know the story about the 20-year-old teacher. Her name was Ann Sullivan. She came to Tuscumbia, Alabama in 1887 to tutor a helpless girl named Helen Keller. Helen Keller was blind. She couldn't see. Helen Keller was deaf. She couldn't hear. Helen Keller was mute. She couldn't speak. If you ever read the story, it's a fascinating story. You ought to read it. It's, it's an unbelievable story of, of patience and perseverance. And it took this teacher, it, 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 it took Ann Sullivan years just to communicate one word to Helen Keller. And in that book, she describes that moment when she poured water over, over, over Helen Keller's hands. And then with her fingers began to spell out the word water. And all of a sudden, Helen began to put the word with the letters and realized that's what water really was. And she talks about how she literally saw before her very eyes the miracle of communication that was planted in the heart of this little girl. She tells about how when she later came to understand the spelling and the concept of God, 
she talked about the first day she was able to spell out G-O-D to Helen Keller. This is what Helen Keller said to her teacher. Listen to this. I always knew he was there. I just didn't know his name. I always knew he was there. I just didn't. Yeah, you can clap. I just didn't know his name. Let me tell you something. There is a God who is there. And his name is Jesus. He came to this earth just to be one of us. And he is the ultimate difference maker, both in this world and in your life. And I bear witness, I have known this God for 50 plus years, and what a difference he makes. Let's pray together.